So you've noticed by now, and I mentioned it earlier, that we've moved into a new season of the church year, what we call ordinary time. And that's only to distinguish it from the extraordinary seasons, from Advent through Pentecost. Color is green. It's the color of life and growth and flourishing. And the months ahead will, I pray, be full of those things, of our life and growth as a congregation and our flourishing as a community. But, you know, there are many questions around that. Much is unknown. And to think that we can just pick up, again, where we left off in March of 2020, as if nothing happened over the last 15 months, that's ignoring the truth of what we've walked through and experienced. Things are different. Things will be different. Today is also Trinity Sunday. It's the only day in the church calendar that's given over to a doctrine rather than a person or event. And it's actually a great place to start this green season because if we're to find our way back to full and vital and loving community, it will be because we are living within the vital, joyful, loving, and selfless community of the Holy Trinity. Tomorrow, I start my sabbatical. I'm very grateful for the gift of the time, and I'll say a little bit more about it later, but I have to be honest that today I'm not really in a place to preach a coherent, carefully researched and presented study on the doctrine of the Trinity. I'm just not there. Now, I might have done that last year. You can go back and look at Trinity Sunday from 2020. I just don't have the energy. I don't have the focus right now, and I'm not sure how fruitful that would be anyway for us right now. So instead, I want to share my personal thoughts as pastor before I'm out for nine Sundays. Not that I'm counting. On why the reality of the Trinity is important for us in this season ahead. First, a caution. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. Actually, I have a Bible with the word Trinity in it because it was a gift from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. (laughs) So, So there's the word Trinity on it. But ordinarily, you don't. But the truth of it runs all throughout Scripture. Yet, as Amanda has said, it's a, it's a deep mystery. God, who is absolute in unity, exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of the same substance, all equal, all given to the others, all existing in eternal relationship. But as with so many things related to the divine, we cannot, we dare not try to nail it all down and think we can get our minds around it. You know, certainly there are common examples that we use sometimes to teach children and others about the Trinity, and to try to explain it in some way. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, described it as a plant. God the Father was the deep root. The Son was the shoot that breaks forth into the world, and the Spirit is that which spread the beauty and the fragrance of God. That's not bad. It's just incomplete. One person noted that the Trinity is not a puzzle to be solved, but a mystery to be explored. You know, there's this story of St. Augustine, who just finished his theological treatise on the Trinity, uh, the De Trinitate, and um, he'd worked on this many, many years. It's said that he started as a young man and finished it much later in his life. And he was walking along the beach on the shores of North Africa, and he came across a young boy. And the boy had dug a hole in the sand, and he was shoveling water into it. Child, what are you doing? Well, I'm putting the Mediterranean Sea into this hole. 
Boy, he said, that's impossible. For the sea is far too vast, and that hole is just too small. And he saw in that moment the futility of trying to comprehend the deep mysteries of God were just too small. However, like that ant, we're not too small to experience the reality of God in three persons. To know the life of the Holy Trinity, to be changed by it, to worship God as Trinity, to know the love and the life of that, and to understand that we can only know true community if we're caught up into the reality of the first community, the prime community, the eternal community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's my pastoral word for today. It's about the community of God and the very present need we have to know community in a fresh and vital way as we emerge from places of isolation. To come together again in person, to gather and worship, to sing, to pray, to fellowship, to feast, that's our calling. That's our vocation as a church. Yet it's not automatic, especially after a season as traumatic as we've experienced. To open up again, to come out from our homes where we've been spending more time than we ever imagined, and face a new reality may seem like the best news of all, but I'm aware that many people have adjusted to the new normal of pandemic life. And venturing out again, especially with a number of people larger than a handful, is kind of daunting. But we need each other. Spiritual growth and faithfulness is not accomplished in isolation. We're saved in community. I really believe that. Some of us know what it is to be saved by the community. Because alone we will wither, or we will become proud and certain. There's a recent article in Christianity Today, I think it was Michael Rhodes, on feasting as a particular need for the church in emerging from pandemic. It's looking back to Moses, and the, uh, the, words, the final words of Moses as he's preparing to send the people into the promised land. And they've been in this time of exile, they've been in this time of everyday dependence on God. And now Moses knows that as they move into the promised land with all the gifts of that, that the tendency, the temptation will be for them to become dull and complacent. And so he gives them instructions about feasting and the need that they are to come together, they're to feast, they're to give thanks, and they're to bring their offerings to God. Yet the feast was to be in the Lord's presence and alongside the whole community. Deuteronomy makes it clear the household that is speaking of must include your son and your daughter, your male servants and female servants, but also the Levite in your towns, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. God does not define his family like a Norman Rockwell painting. It's not just mom and dad and three kids. The family of God is more vast and varied and challenging, yet it's rich. And it takes a lot of love and care. On our own, it's impossible to know community like that. But we can know it through the Trinity, the Holy Trinity of God. And we can know how necessary this reality is to us now and in the months ahead. You know, in John's Gospel, and it touches here on Nicodemus, which Graham spent a big part of the sermon last week on Nicodemus, so we're not going to go further into that, but I think the whole perspective of John's Gospel helps us in approaching the reality of the Trinity. 
that dynamic interrelatedness of the Trinity. Because John opens his gospel with an image of Jesus, the Logos, eternally in the heart of the Father, in love and intimacy. In John 16, we see that the Spirit will glorify the Son. In John 17, that Jesus glorifies the Father, and that the Father glorifies the Son. All this glorifying going on. It's joy and delight. It's absolutely selfless. And it's been called the dance of the Trinity. You may have heard this before. Tim Keller captures the thought of this pretty well, I think. He says, when we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and the desires of the other. That creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. So it is, the Bible tells us. Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. That creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. See, our community here functions as God intended when we are caught up into that eternal dance. When we know what it is to, to be able to pour out love and delight and adoration on one another, when our relationships are focused on the others, when we enter with humility and joy, when the community is marked by feasting and love and mercy, this is the gift of the Holy Trinity to us. It's the life of God finding expression in God's people in real time, in real space, in embodied connection. It's a journey that's rooted in prayer and worship, in shared life and service to others. And as we come together again over time, and it will take time, we'll know this, it will also take grace. We may need some healing, by the way. I'm sure we do. We need healing individually and as a community, and you can't separate those things because they're tied together. My sabbatical is rest, yes, but it's also some work. Work giving attention to the wounds and the weariness of the last few years. Dealing with issues in my body and soul that need attention. Uh, some deferred maintenance, maybe you might call it. And really, as I've come to think about it and plan and try to get around these next couple of months, uh, it may look like a luxury, and I think it is for many people, but I, right now it's necessary for me if I'm to continue in my vocation. You may have things as well in your own life, and I urge you to do the work however you can to allow us to gather again in health. Some of that healing will only come when we're together in proximity with one another. I'm deeply concerned right now about us that we not become a community of two camps, of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. That's a reality among us. And it's something that we're having to deal with. Uh, but it will divide us if we don't approach one another with the kind of selfless, other person-centered love and care that we find in the Trinity. There are practical issues around that, of course. You know, we're trying to get as many people in the space as possible, and we're trying to honor safe distance for the people that, that need that, and we need wisdom around that, but I do not want it to define us. The church at its best has always been able to transcend difference when it lives out the life of the Trinity.
gender, race, culture, backgrounds, they do not disappear, they become gifts. In Romans, Paul appeals to the two groups, the strong and the weak, to find peace within the life of the Trinity. In our passage today, we see the active presence of the Spirit. We see Abba Father, and we see Jesus Christ, with whom we are co-heirs. And Paul says we share in his glory. Remember, glory is shared among the Trinity, each one to the others. We can walk this. I know we can. If we give glory to God and to one another, if we will honor and serve each other, if we let love lead. On a personal note, yes, I am vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and I encourage it. And if you're still exploring this, then I encourage you to explore it. All you need to do, get the information that you need and, and get all the information you can, maybe even talk to some of our own medical and public health people here at Redeemer. I know talking to Dr. Joe Foydick was really helpful for me. In other words, know the sources of your information. But I want you to know that I didn't get vaccinated as kind of a badge or to take the high moral ground anything like that. I did it so I could embrace you, and you could embrace me. I did it so I could hold your children again, and baptize them. I did it so I could sit at a sickbed or even a deathbed and hold the hand of the person there. I did it so I could be in community in the way that God has designed community. But I also want you to know that all decisions on this will be respected. And we will find ways to be the community of love. I'm not saying that will be easy. I won't say people won't have different opinions who want to share them. Right? I'm simply saying that we have to. We have to because we need to feast again with each other. And we can do this. We can do this as we dance with the Trinity. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.